So, um, again, speaking about the Rebbe, it's not my, uh, I'm not that great at it because what, what can I say about the Rebbe? Of course, we, we were lucky enough to learn in the Rebbe's yeshiva to be present at many of his fabrengas, of his talks, seeing him, but of course, we, nobody really, nobody of us really understood and grasped what the Rebbe was, and surely not in those years. If we would have been smarter and uh, uh, older, maybe, maybe we would have understood something. But even then, I'm not sure they would have really understood the depth and the, and the span of the Rebbe's uh, revolution that has occurred, and we see it now 27 years later. I'll just share with you a small incident. This Shabbat here in Moscow, we had, we decided to bring together all the different yeshivot here in Moscow. And Baruch Hashem, there are today five uh, yeshivas for young boys. Besides that we have a university for boys, university for girls, but this is really a, a yeshiva geared for students that wanna eventually hopefully become rabbis or shluchim, emissaries of the Rebbe. And I'm watching these young boys you know, from, uh, let's say, 14 till 25 years old, hundreds of young students, Russian-born, 27 years after we haven't seen the Rebbe in a physical way. And I look at them and I envy them because of their connection to the Rebbe, their strong, not only belief and enthusiasm, but excitement in doing whatever is connected to the Rebbe. And you think, you know, the teacher left the class 27 years ago. Where did these young boys get their energy and their excitement from? And this is really, in retrospect, you realize the teachings of the Rebbe that are so effective today to the young generation shows that this is something that is much greater than we could ever dream and imagine. So, Again, speaking about the Rebbe is very hard. I'm not going to even try. I'm just going to share the story of Russian Jewry the way I saw it with my own eyes. And maybe this is going to give a small glimpse in understanding of the connection and the, and the way the Rebbe really felt for every single Jew. I'll just start with a small story. It's a, quite a famous story of a, a Jew that somehow got to know Chabad. He was a French Jew. And everything that he saw was amazing. The learning, the praying, the devotion, the way they went out to help people. Everything was amazing, but one thing really bothered him was the adulation of the Rebbe. You know, seeing the picture of the Rebbe all over and people speaking always, the Rebbe, the Rebbe, the Rebbe. How many times can you say the Rebbe in a sentence? Like, okay, we understand you have a Rebbe, but just let's, uh, no, don't exaggerate. And he kept on asking different rabbis, can you explain to me what this like uh, sort of fanatism and craziness about the Rebbe? And they tried to give him different answers and nobody was able to really, you know, make him understand what it's all about. At a certain point, the rabbi told him, you know what? The only way you can figure this out, go yourself to New York. So he took a flight from Paris to New York. He got to New York, went to 770, the Rebbe synagogue, and he saw what was going on there. And his questions became even more. As much as he saw what was going on in France, he came there and he said, this is really crazy. Like the Rebbe walks into the synagogue, everybody, you know, like makes space for him and they all look at him and he speaks and everybody's standing like listening as if, you know, it's new revelations. What is this all about? 
what is this crazy love to, to this one person? And he asked different rabbis there in New York, what is this all about? Until a certain rabbi told him, you know what? I see you're not getting any answer. You're not getting it. Go into the rabbi and ask the rabbi himself. And with this Jew, finally got an audience with the rabbi, went in and he had this question that was really bothering him for months. And he tells the rabbi, can you explain to me this adulation? It's, it's like Russian Jews actually would understand it. It's like making, turning somebody into like a, a you know, this man is something. And what is this all about? What is this crazy love? And the Rebbe answered him, actually, it's something that I fully understand. He said, it's only, the only reciprocating the love that I'm feeling for them. I love each one of them so much. It's fatuation love. I'm really crazy about each one of them. Why shouldn't they feel the same about me? And if you can say this about any Jew in the world, the way the Rebbe loves every single Jew, I would just add that for Russian Jews, this love is, I think, beyond and above. It's really, you hear stories on and on. Every once in a while, you hear another story from a Russian person, a Jew that was connected somehow to the Rebbe in those early years in the tough times. And you realize how much care, how much love, how much the Rebbe was ready to risk just to help one single Jew that lives somewhere far away in the Soviet Union, and not only care, not only love, but actually self-sacrifice for each one of these Jews. And I think this is really what the Rebbe is all about, really loving every single Jew like his own son. As the Balshentov said, you know, how do you have to love every Jew? The same way parents, they didn't, they were childless for many, many years. And in their old age, finally, God bless them with a baby. Can you imagine the love that these parents have for this one child? That's how we should love every Jew. That's the way the Rebbe loves every Jew and surely Russian Jews. So let me share with you my experience and then uh, I'll be happy if anybody has any questions to try to answer them. I was actually born in Italy, born in Milan. My parents were sent by the Rebbe to Italy uh, over 60 years ago. They're still there in Italy, working hard in the Jewish community. And I grew up what is called in Shlichut. And Italy is a beautiful place, exciting place. But somehow, from childhood, my dream was I want to go visit Russia. Maybe because there were some uh, Russian refugees that came out of Russia and lived in Milan. And they used to share the stories of self-sacrifice, of how hard it was for the Russian Jews. Maybe because whenever I didn't finish what's on my plate, my mother used to tell me, imagine a Russian boy is starving away and you're not eating what's on the plate. Like, how could you leave over food? And on and on, different stories about Russian Jews. And I even used to go to the central station in Milan and see the train leaving Milan, Moscow, and dream I'm going to hop on the train, hide behind the bench, and get to Moscow. Thank God I didn't do it. But uh, I always had this dream. And then when I went to learn in yeshiva in New York, this dream became even greater because all of a sudden we met these Hasidim who were coming out of Russia. This was the late 80s, not too many, but the were Hasidim that managed to get permission to leave and they would come to New York and you would see these people and you would say, wow, these are special people, no question, out of the ordinary. Anyways, Thank God my dream came true. And I was offered as a young student in yeshiva to go travel to Russia, to Soviet Union. This was in 1987. 
And uh, I won't bore you with the whole story of preparing and packing and uh, trying to figure out how to learn the Cyrillic letters and memorizing phone numbers and names and pictures and getting all the you know, KGB rundown. But finally, I made it to Moscow and I met with these local Jews here and I said, these are the heroes of today's day and age. Forget about, you know, uh, who knows who were the heroes in my childhood. These are the real, real, real McCoy. This is the real stuff. This is people that because of, not only because of keeping Judaism, not only because they want to pray or they want to learn or they want to eat kosher, they're ready to risk their lives to help others. Like they can be Jewish in their own home and nobody's going to bother them. But why do they need to risk their life to help somebody have a bris or get married or printing books, which was something was really, you know, teaching children, which was against the law completely. But for these Jews, it wasn't a question if, the question was only how. For sure they would do it. For sure that's what has to be done. And they didn't even think of themselves of their own family, of the risk that they were taking, they knew that this is what has to be done. This is what Judaism is all about. Leave your comfort zone and help one more fellow Jew. And when I met these Jews, I told them, besides that they had much more of an effect on me than I could even think of helping them, I came there to help them, to teach them, to try to see what I can do, but they were helping me just watching them was something that really had a great effect on my life. And I remember the last night before leaving back to New York, the people that I'd met in St. Petersburg, Vilnius, Baku, in different cities, they all came to Moscow to say goodbye, which was a very, very emotional moment. And I remember we were sitting around you know, in Russia, Fabrengen is of course with a bottle of vodka, and we're saying one lechaim after another lechaim, and at a certain point, I told them, and this was really coming from my heart, and I told them, listen, I'm going to get back to New York. I'm not going to forget about you. You gave me the best present I could ever expect in my life. You are the real Jews. Not, you know, you're Jewish when it's comfortable. You're Jewish when uh, it's good for you. You're Jewish because you're Jewish. And, and that's it. And, and that's what really is all about. And I told them, I'm going to get back to New York, and whatever I'm going to be able to do, to help you people, I'm gonna do. And at a certain point, one young man, his name was uh, Yasha Krugliakov, I remember until today, he got up and he said, Beryl, please don't promise anything. I know you're gonna go back to America, you're gonna get busy. You have to learn, you have things to do. Don't tell us that you're going to help us. You know how many people told us when they were here visiting that they're going to help us? We understand everybody goes back to America. They get a job. They have to make a living. They're busy. How could they be in America and help us? It's so hard to help us. And when I heard those words, it really hurt me. I felt, you know, these people are here. They're stuck here in the Soviet Union. Nobody, people are promising that they're going to help. And then, of course, they get busy and they forget about them. And how are they going to survive? Like, and when you ask them, what do you want? What kind of kosher food do you want? They said, we don't want food. We want just books. Send us like Jewish books. Send us material. Help us be able to teach other people. Help other people. We need a, a knife to make a kosher meat, whatever. Everything was just, you know, and we don't really need help. 
just come and teach us. And with those words that he said, made me understand that maybe this is my mission in life. And I came back to New York and I really felt that I'm gonna to try to help them. And I was in touch with them on the phone. It wasn't easy to get a phone call. I used to sit sometimes 45 minutes, an hour, just to order a line to Russia. And you could barely hear what they were saying, but we managed, Baruch Hashem, to get in touch with them and whatever they needed, I tried to help them. And lucky enough, I was able to travel back a second time, a third time. And uh, the joke actually by my friends was that I'm not gonna get married because I already found my girlfriend, her name is Russia. And uh, when my mother heard that, she said, that's it, it's over. You're not going back to Russia until you get married. So I realized I have to get married. So I, I was ready to go meet a girl, but I told whoever was, uh, you know, suggesting names, I said, make sure that she's ready to go to Russia because that's my dream. I don't know if I'm gonna be lucky enough to go there, but that's my dream. I mean, the Rebbe is the one that's gonna decide, but at least I should know that if the Rebbe decides to send us, at least she's ready. And with my first date, I think the first question was, are you ready to go to Russia? And uh, when she answered yes, I think he said, okay, so it's a done deal, we're getting married. And not exactly, but uh, more or less. And Baruch Hashem, uh, a year after, uh, we were learning in New York and the Rebbe gave us the mission to go to Moscow and to become his emissaries to Russia. And from then it's been a dream come true. So of course we came to Russia in the 1990, wasn't easy. There was nothing to eat. There were queues, lines, you know, at every store for a block, two blocks. I remember one of the stories that he used to say then that uh, a Jew sees a long line and people are waiting for some, you know, people are waiting for ready for who knows, two hours, three hours. So he also gets on the line. And after he gets on the line, at a certain point he asks the person in front of him, tell me, what are we waiting for? So he says, uh, I actually don't know, but ask the person in front of me. And finally he gets to the front of the line. He gets to the second person online. He says, what are we waiting for? What are they selling in the store? He says, actually, I don't know. Ask the person in front. So he goes over to the first person in front and he sees the old Jew and he turns to him, he says in Yiddish, tell me, what are we standing in line for? He says, actually, I just bent down to fix my shoelaces. I got up and I saw a line in back of me. This is the first time that I'm first on line. I'm not moving away from here. So this was the, the story then. And thank God today, being Jewish is to be first online. Today, when you ask people, you know, in the street, are you Jewish? Do you want to put on tefillin? If they're not Jewish, they'll tell you, sadly not. Or, you know, say, wow, we, we love the Jews. We respect the Jews. We love Israel. What you guys are doing is amazing. It's amazing to see the turnaround from a place that was so anti-Semitic. And I said there was no food, but there was actually nothing here. All the synagogues were shut, shut down, no Jewish schools no education, nothing, everything was destroyed. Seven years of communism left the Jews here in a huge vacuum. And we came here and uh, my dream was actually from day one, I said, my dream is make Jews proud of who they are. I couldn't imagine that Jews were still hiding their Jewishness, being afraid of telling who they are, to, sometimes to their own children and being ashamed of who they are and trying to, you know, change a name or whatever. Today, a Jew walks in the street with his heads up and he's proud that he's Jewish. He could wear him again, David, he could wear a kippah, 
you could have tzitzis coming out and people are just going to respect him. I don't want to, you know, compare, but in the last few weeks, what we have seen in Europe, in the States, here in Russia, it's people actually walk in the street and they say, you guys are amazing. The way you manage with Hamas, keep it up. We should have gone till the end. Russia, that was so anti-Semitic, became so much pro-Israel, pro-Jews, that sometimes you try to pinch yourself and say, is this actually happening? So we came here, and in the beginning, as I said, it wasn't easy. Our synagogue was firebombed. I don't know if any of you heard of this uh, uh, famous wooden synagogue, the Marina Russia synagogue, it was completely burned down, anti-Semitism. Then we had twice bombs exploded in the synagogues. It was miracles that nobody got hurt. People used to get attacked in the streets. Sometimes people came into the synagogues with a knife trying to kill people. We had, it wasn't easy. The 90s was like the Wild West over here and it was actually very, very difficult. But we knew if the Rebbe sent us, things are gonna change. And today, thank God, looking back and trying to remember how tough it was then, trying to find people to come to synagogue. We used to stand in the streets and try to look for the 10th person to make a minyan if we were managed to get, you know, that far. Sometimes we just sat three, four, five people, and that was our, our Shabbos prayers. Today, our synagogue, every Shabbat has at least a thousand people. So thinking we couldn't get together in Minyan, and today, every day we have like, starting from seven in the morning till late at night, people just coming in, central station, people just coming, learning, celebrating, coming to different events, concerts, events, youth programs, whatever it is, you name it, Baruch Hashem, we have it, is really nothing short of a miracle. So as one of the famous politicians in Israel once said, that when everybody gave up on Russian Jewry, when everybody said that there's no future for Jews in Russia, the Rebbe used to tell people that you have to stay there and help the local Jews. You have to go there and help them. And the Famous joke is, you know, everybody was leaving in the late 80s and beginning of the 90s, everybody was leaving the Soviet Union and these crazy Chabadniks were coming to Russia. Like if everybody's leaving, why are you coming back? Why? Because the Rebbe sent us, because the Rebbe told us that there's, even if there's one Jew left, you have to go there and help him. And today, as Rabbi Chadokov mentioned, there are over 400 Shluchim that are serving here the communities with their families in, the craziest places is the smallest towns. There's a shliach there working, living in Moscow. Trust me, it's very easy. We have kosher restaurants. We have schools, kindergartens, uh, a Jewish museum that thank God is uh, one of the most famous museums today in Russia. We have uh, community centers, uh, social centers, a hospital. Baruch Hashem, we have what probably, I can't compare it to Florida, but uh, we have what we need to live a comfortable life, but the, the rabbis that are in these faraway places like, uh, you know, Birobidzhan, Ulanude, and Krasnoyarsk, and uh, whatever, on and on, they don't have it easy. And uh, of course, in the other republics, in Bishkek, in uh, Belarus, and all of that, it's also not easy. It's, uh, it's not easy to be a rabbi in a city when you don't have all the infrastructure, but each one of them is trying to rebuild it building every, probably every month, we're opening up a new building somewhere. 
whether it's a community center or a synagogue or an old age home or whatever. We try to keep on rebuilding because everything was actually destroyed. You know, after uh, communism fell apart, we realized that, yes, we won over communism, but look how much was lost. And the Jews that were left here wasn't like the Jews that, you know, left to America, left to Israel, who were connected. The Jews that were left here, they were completely assimilated. And until you don't remind them and let them know and make them excited to become part of the community, they're going to stay away. So this is very, very short, the miracle that we have seen. And uh, I remember as a young boy in New York, when the Rebbe used to speak by Fabrengen, the Rebbe used to say and pray and say, everybody should say L'chaim for these Jews behind the Iron Curtain. If we're going to pray for them, we're going to see miracles. And they're going to be able to be free again. And those are the Jews that really deserve all our prayers because they are standing and ready to you know, self-sacrifice for Judaism, not only for an hour, not only for a day. It's a constant day-to-day self-sacrifice to keep Yiddishkeit alive. So today, Baruch Hashem, we have you know, incredible amount of uh, institutions, but that's not the point. The point is actually the young boys and girls that are part of this, uh, you know, excitement, growing in Judaism, becoming Jewish. I'll just share with you a small story. On uh, Thursday and Friday, I was in St. Petersburg. There was the International Economic Forum. It's called the SPF, St. Petersburg Economic Forum. And actually I had a session there, I spoke there. And what was my highlight? It wasn't actually meeting, you know, government officials and business people and everything. At a certain point, a businessman comes over to me and he tells me, I want to thank you. I say, I appreciate, but actually I don't know you. So he says, you don't know me, but you know my wife. He says, I married a girl that learned in a school in Novosibirsk, in the Chabad school. From there, she went to the Moscow Seminary the Jewish University for Girls, and she became, you know, very active and connected to the tradition. And, and he says, today, thank God we live in Israel. We moved to Israel two years ago from Switzerland, and we have four children, and my son is getting his first Torah from the chief rabbi of Israel today. So he says, imagine if this girl wouldn't have found her way to a summer camp, and through that to the Jewish school in Novosibirsk, and through that to the seminary in Moscow, she would have never made Aliyah to Israel. She would have never, we have four children. He says, you know, for a Russian family, four children is, is quite, a, quite a lot, only because she became so connected. And I was telling people, this is my highlight of this economic forum. It's not, you know, the meetings and the speeches, was actually seeing the fruits of one girl that otherwise would have been lost to the Jewish people. And uh, one of the projects that we have here in Moscow is actually a children's home. It's an amazing, amazing place. We have over 60 children and such homes we have in Odessa, in Dnipropetrovsk, in Kiev, in other cities. Children that their parents, for many different reasons, are not taking care of them. And uh, sometimes, you know, single parents, sometimes the mother is, was on drugs or alcoholic, or she was arrested, whatever, and these children are practically lost, and we take them in, and not only do they succeed, they become stars. And when they marry, and then they build their family, and they live a new life, and you see a future in these children, you realize that 
you know, we have, we have been very, very lucky to be able to be part of this uh, miracle and uh, excitement. So uh, again, I could go on forever with stories and uh, anecdotes, but I think, you know, this shouldn't be a, as we say in Russian, a monologue. Let's make it more a dialogue and uh, let's hear if anything interests you, it's going to be much more exciting. Uh, thank, thank you very, very much, Rabbi Lazar. And uh, it's quite amazing. And we'd like to open the floor now for anyone who has questions. Please type your question in the chat box. I think that will be the easiest for all of us so we don't speak over each other. And uh, I'll ask Rabbi Lazar to please uh, check out the chat box for the questions and hopefully be able to answer them. I have a question, Rabbi Lazar. How many Jews are currently living in Russia? So we say, normally we answer this is the million dollar question. <laughs> but uh, hopefully soon we'll have an answer to that question. So let me share with you, first of all, what we have been saying all along and what we want to do. We believe that Russia has at least a million Jews. That's our estimate. Uh, different people you know, have different opinions. Some people say it's less, some people say it's more. The Rebbe actually said that uh, it's much, much more than people could imagine because as I said before, people used to hide their Jewishness. If your grandparents weren't religious, there was no chance that a, uh, that a grandson would be still Jewish. And the Jews that are left today in part of the community, most of them will tell you, yes, my grandfather was a rabbi, my grandfather was to work in the synagogue, my grandmother spoke Yiddish. If that wasn't around, people completely assimilated. So you're talking about a lot of Jews that actually don't even know themselves that they're Jewish. One of the things that we started here is actually a big program of through checking DNA to be able to prove somebody's Jewishness because there are today hundreds and hundreds of people coming every month and saying, can you please prove my Jewishness. Of course, it makes it much better for them to be Jewish because you can, you know, get an Israeli passport, you get service from the community. A lot of them really want to be connected to communities. A lot of people are looking for their roots. So a lot, a lot more people today are looking to be able to prove their Jewishness. But uh, we still don't know, even if we believe that there are a million Jews, we know probably connected to the communities, today there are probably up to 200,000. So you're talking about around 800,000 Jews that are completely disconnected and they don't even go and buy matzah for Pesach and, and they're really like completely not active in the community. So we had an idea now to actually build a virtual community and to give people an opportunity to sign up and being part of this community is gonna give them a lot of different benefits. I'm not going to bore you with the whole idea of the program, but the goal is actually to convince somebody, yes, go look for your roots. We're going to help you find whether it's relative, your genealogy tree, but we want to help you live a better life because you're Jewish. Whether it's going to be discounts in stores, kosher food delivered to your home, a package for Passover, Jewish books, classes on the internet. But the idea is actually to learn from Amazon and find people in their home. We're not expecting them to come to synagogue. We're gonna find them in their home, but we wanna actually try to find these million Jews. 
So again, it's a nice number because, you know, it sounds great when you think, oh, you have so many Jews in Russia. The question is how many of them are actually connected to the community? So we know, you know, addresses and phone numbers of, again, close to 200,000, but we believe that there's many, many more that are not connected. And our goal is actually eventually to unite all Russian speaking Jews all over the world through this virtual community. Because a Russian Jew, again, I don't want to be, uh, you know, I'm not prejudiced, as they say, and they are unique. They're special, they have a special neshama. There's something that you don't find in uh, at least, you know, Jews that I met in Europe, in America, in South America, they have a, a very strong fire inside of them. You just have to give them the opportunity to connect and they're incredible. I can tell you one of the most exciting things is walking into our community any day. People just don't come in and say hello. Even with COVID, people hug each other. The hello is a really warm hello. As if, you know, they're not just sisters and brothers. It's just this care and love and friendship and, and the neshama, the soul that is there is something very unique. We've been very, very lucky. We have an amazing community, amazing people who are ready to help each other. You know, sometimes doing amazing things just to be helpful to somebody else. And that's our goal really, to give an opportunity to many, many more Jews who are not connected, have never met another Jew to really be part of this unique community. Thank you. Um, I see the chat box is staying quiet, but we have several of the Chabads that have in uh, people joining in uh, in person. So if any of the rabbis have any questions from their audience, if they can please uh, unmute themselves and address it to the rabbi, Rabbi Korfer, Rabbi Shmurli, any of the other Chabads that are having in person this morning. If any of the rabbis have questions, you're surely welcome to ask as well. I see Rabbi Korf coming up. Uh, what is your relationship with uh, rabbis? Unmute yourself, and okay. you should be able to ask. Can Rabbi Lazar? Can you hear me? I hear you loud and clear. Your relationship with the uh, with the president? Can you speak about that? Okay, we are on Zoom, right? <laughs> a story, an interaction, something. Okay, so I'll, uh, I'll share with you an interesting story and then I'll, I'll try to tell you. Uh, this was actually right before Rosh Hashanah, not this year, the year before. And uh, I had a meeting with him. We normally meet right before Rosh Hashanah. It's the way that he sends the message to the Jewish community, wishing them. Uh, Happy New Year. Anyways, we had this long meeting and the meeting was, let's say, close to an hour. And I saw before even I walked into the meeting that a lot of people were waiting, ministers. I felt very uncomfortable, you know, sitting for so long. At the end of the meeting, I'm already, I stood up and I'm standing by the door and all of a sudden he turns to me, he's already standing by his desk and he tells me, Rebbe, I want to ask you a question. I say, okay, please do. And he says, uh, can you explain to me the secret of the survival of the Jewish people? And he says, you know what? In Russia, we had many different 
nationalities and nations. And they were actually very rich. They had their own territory, their own language, their own culture, and they disappeared. There's nothing left of them. No memory whatsoever. And it says, you Jewish people, without living in your land, without having one common language, one common culture, everybody knows Jews in, in Georgia and Jews in uh, Austria, they're completely different. And nevertheless, you survived pogroms, the Holocaust and everything. What is the secret of the uh, survival of the Jewish people? And I'm standing there by the door and I realize I don't have too much time to start from. And then also, whatever I'm gonna say, it's gonna be bad. Because if I'm gonna say that we are unique, means that the Russians are not unique. Saying that we are not unique, uh, I'm not gonna lie. I do believe that we are unique. So what do you tell the president when he asks you such a question? So thank God I told him, Mr. President, actually, maybe you have an answer to this question. And he turns to me and he says, you know what? I've been thinking about this for a long time. And I think that the answer is because all these nations were built on values that are not eternal. The Jewish people, they were built on eternal values. That's how the Jewish nation actually survived. It's because of the Torah, the values in the Jewish family, and the rabbis. These are the three things that he says. These three things, they're able to pass on this eternal value from generation to generation. This is what makes them survive for eternity. Because if the values are eternal, the Jewish people are going to be eternal. So of course, we sat down by the table again, and we had a whole new discussion about these eternal values. And uh, his point was actually that Russia should also get some eternal values, otherwise, sooner or later, it's going to disappear. Why am I saying this story? Because I think it has nothing to do with me, the, his relationship. We all know the story of when he was a young child, of this, you know, the Jewish neighbors who took care of him. Of course, I don't think he respects us like, you know, much more than anybody else, but he has a special warmth and appreciation for the values of the Jewish people. And uh, happens to be you know, that I was at that moment in, in his office when he, he was one of the first Jews that he met, you know, a first rabbi that he met. So somehow, you know, we built a connection. I must say that any issue that comes up, whether it's a problem in the Jewish community, whether it's again, anti-Semitism or help for somebody, he's always ready to help. This has been an incredible, uh, an open line that whenever we need something, it's not that I call him every morning and ask him, no, take care of this, take care of that. But when there's an issue, when there's a need, he's there to help. And uh, a lot of good things that have happened in the Jewish community, thanks to his understanding and appreciation of the Jewish community. He does believe that there's a future for Jews here and he's ready to do whatever is needed. And uh, if I'll tell you, all the stories that happened in, in our you know, encounters and uh, we're gonna sit here for the whole day. But uh, one thing I could tell you, any prime minister or president that came from Israel to visit him after the meeting comes over to me and he says, first of all, what we owe the Jewish community here in Russia is incredible because what Russia has done for Israel in the last few years is something that nobody knows. It's in a quiet way, without announcing it anywhere. 
He said, thank God that the Jewish community was able to build such a friendship. And we have a friend in the Kremlin. We have a close friend in the Kremlin who has done things that nobody even knows about. So uh, like when Bibi Netanyahu sees me, he always tells me, listen, I remember the first time I met Putin was in your office and we sat for an hour and a half and that's how our, our friendship was built. And because of that, he says, that was an historical moment for the future of the Jewish people in Israel. He says, without him, I'm not sure where we would have been today with Syria, with the Arabs, with the, it's, but again, he doesn't announce it. He doesn't make a fuss about it. And the same way, I'm not gonna tell you all the things that happened thanks to him for the Jewish community. So a lot of people are critical about Russia, about Putin. I'm not gonna, you know, get into that because it's not my field of expertise. But one thing I can tell you, if there is a beacon of light in this country is what has happened to the Jewish community and no question that he has a big share in it. Thank you, Reverend Lazar. You know, the chief rabbi went to Israel. I said, so chief rabbi of Israel went to um, Tibet and the Dalai, the Dalai Lama asked the same question. What is the secret to Jewish survival? Now, the, the, what he answered, I don't know, but that the question was there anyway. A big Yishikayach. There's a question here, Rabbi. How big is the Jewish community in Belarus? It's actually not so big. It's, uh, I mean, there are probably around 10 cities where there's a Jewish community. Uh, the numbers are not so great. Most people left Belarus, not now, actually, many, many years ago. Very sad because Belarus used to be a center of Jewish life, center of Hasidic life. But just to give an example, we're not building a synagogue in Mogilov, another synagogue in Vitebsk. Uh, we have a synagogue that was built in uh, Grodna, in uh, Rovna. So there are a lot of synagogues still being built, but the numbers are not that, that great. But uh, Brest, but uh, again, the same like everywhere else. Even in Minsk, actually, the synagogue was destroyed. So the whole Belarus was left without any synagogues whatsoever. And of course, if you look back in history of Belarus, Belarus had one of the strongest, most traditional Jewish communities. And uh, sadly, a lot was destroyed. But we're trying to rebuild it with the Jews that are left there. We have another couple of minutes because the rabbi is seven hours ahead of us and he has to go to the... Uh... The Mincha Meyer of Prayers, uh, Rabbi Lazar. Tony here from St. Petersburg, our St. Petersburg here in Florida. Amazed at the support for Jewish life there and how you were able to sow in short time. We hope and aspire for that in other free places around the world. Okay, so that's a common thing. If any other rabbis have a, another question for the chief rabbi, we have another three minutes. So uh, let's take advantage of this historic opportunity. I think we should make a trip from St. Petersburg to St. Petersburg. <laughs> Absolutely. And Petersburg happens to be a beautiful city for those that didn't visit it. If any of the other rabbis have a question, I'm going to go into my room over here to see if any of the people in the house give you a moment. Well, I'll, uh, I'll jump in for a moment. Um, thank you, Rabbi Lazar, again. Question, we have many Jews uh, in our community that came from the Soviet Union, uh, very proud Jews. But um, it's a challenge uh, when you want to engage them in America. They feel like they either lost their connection in Russia uh, to, the, to the Jewish to the Jewish religion, um, and but they have a certain pride that I wish the American Jews have. 
And now they are complaining that their children, grandchildren who grew up in America don't have that as much. What's the secret and what's the message to American Jews, to Russian Jews who live now in America to continue that flame of Yiddishkeit? You know, the famous line is that uh, when we were in Russia, we were Jews. When we came to Israel, we became Russians, right? So uh, it's actually very sad because first of all, I think that uh, once they came to America, yes, I do believe that they're, you know, where they came from plays a role, but I wouldn't look at them as Russian Jews. I think they came to America. I think they should really already feel fully part of the Jewish community and the children and grandchildren surely don't want to feel like Russians. They want to feel like regular American Jews. But yes, I think they have to be challenged. I want to tell you that there is a, a, a special uh, approach, I would say, that a Russian Jew has. Like the famous line is that I don't go to synagogue, but the synagogue that I don't go to, it's a Hasidic one, it's an Orthodox one because they're not looking to cut corners. They're not looking for like compromising what they believe is right. So I personally believe that the way to approach a Russian Jew is to tell them the way it is. Without, you know, call it its name. Like don't, don't try to fancy it up and, and make it uh, comfortable. You know, you sit by Fabring and talk to him straight to his heart. If you have to say Lechaim, say Lechaim, but just tell him the way it is. And once you tell him the real truth, he's going to buy it. Because Russian Jews are looking for the truth. They're looking for, you know, to do the right thing. And if it's hard, even better. You know, they're not looking for the easy way out. So sometimes we try to approach in the same way you approach American Jews, and it, which I understand, you know, you have to make it comfortable for them. And it's okay if you do this and you can come late. No, to a Russian Jew, you have to tell him, you know, this is the way it is. You have to do it. And we need you, and please be part of it. Thank you. All right, just last question, please, Rabbi, before we let you go. Someone over here asked, I know it might not be your domain, but if you could let us know how the Jewish community is doing in the Ukraine. Okay, so actually, I don't want to call it my domain because I think it's, uh, you know, the world is God's domain, but... Uh, we are very, very close connected to the Jewish community in Ukraine. You know, all the rabbis there are close friends. And actually in the Jewish community, this Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, it's all the same. We are Russian speaking Jews. We're all together. Very often you meet people, whether it's here in Russia or in Ukraine or somewhere else who say, how could we like divide our families? You know, the husband is from Ukraine, the wife is from Belarus and the sisters from Russia. So how could you divide it? Like, you can't tell us, you know, we are at war. We are family. So by Russian Jews, you don't feel this difference between different countries. And in the Jewish community, surely you don't feel it the other way around. Uh, the truth is, they're doing fine. Of course, we would be much happier that there shouldn't be any problems between the countries because it makes it worse for everybody. This war hasn't brought anything good to anyone. And sadly, you know, that's the way politics works. The people on top make certain decisions and people on the bottom suffer. So economically, of course, it's much harder than it used to be. And it doesn't look like it's gonna get better. But uh, listen, they have a president who's Jewish. And even though there are some, uh, sadly in Ukraine, historically, 
Ukraine has, has always been sort of more or less anti-Semitic, but the president stands up for what he believes. And the, this country, the country like Ukraine has a Jewish president who's a proud Jew is also a miracle. And of course he helped the Jewish community and he is involved and, uh, and he does whatever he can to help out. So the Jewish community is doing fine. It's, uh, I mean, again, it could get always better. Economically, financially, yes, there are struggles, there are issues. Uh, people, you know, lost their jobs, people having a hard time. But Baruch Hashem, no, you don't feel there's any anti-Semitism in the streets. Uh, nothing, you know, to worry about. Again, if you compare what's going on in the former Soviet Union to what goes on today in Europe, thank God we are in a better position. So somebody here asks, how did I learn Russian? How long did it take you? I'm still learning. I'm not such a good student. I actually, sadly, never sat down with a teacher to teach. For those that don't speak Russian, I can tell you one thing, it's not an easy language. You have, you know, Padiji and all of that, it's, it's complicated. Every word you can say it in 18 different ways. Depends if it's like uh, female, male, neutral. You're going to the house, you're coming from the house, you're in the house, you're talking about the house, and the word changes. It's like, you know, it's worse than Latin. I learned Latin in school, and believe me, Russian is even more complicated. But it is a beautiful, beautiful language. It's one of the nicest languages. I, I speak Italian, everybody says Italian is a beautiful language. Russian is a much richer language. You can express yourself amazingly. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful language. And uh, just, you mentioned uh, in two days we're gonna be celebrating 80 years from when the Rebbe and his wife came to America. Interesting enough, I heard from one of the people that used to be in the house of the Rebbe that the Rebbe's wife always spoke to the Rebbe in Russian. The Rebbe used to answer in Yiddish, but she spoke to the Rebbe in Russian. She probably didn't want to forget or, you know, give up this language. And she always spoke to the Rebbe in Russian, which I understand today fully. I, I think it's one of the most beautiful languages. Not an easy one, probably close to Chinese. I never learned Chinese, I don't know, but, uh, but it's a beautiful language. And if you read the poetry and the novels in Russian, they're just amazing. I, I think that it's uh, nothing compares to that. It's, uh, you know, you have some writers here in Russia which are world famous, but now I know why, because reading them in the original is something which is, wow. Okay, we need to let the rabbi go. He's got to go to the prayers. I'm sorry you couldn't get to all the questions. A great, great thank you, spasiba, to the chief rabbi. And we're still not giving up on getting him here in person one day, God willing, in the near future, we'll get to, to answer all the rest of the questions. Thank you very much to all the rabbis and all the communities. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Zaygezund, be well. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Great seeing everyone.